it is the end of the year, and uh, we were discussing this last month when Pastor Matt was preaching through Isaiah how we should end the year one Sunday between Christmas and the beginning of the new year. And uh, one of the guys mentioned uh, it'd be great to have a message either beginning or end of the year on having a fresh start. So I thought uh, that sounds like a good idea, and I kind of did some research on what would be the, a good text to have a fresh start. So if you have a Bible this morning, take it and open it to Ezra 3. Ezra is in the Old Testament, somewhere in the middle of your Bible. And uh, it's, if you open up to Psalms, it's somewhere after that. If you open up to a New Testament, it's somewhere before that. Historically, it's about 400 and some years before Jesus would be born. So Matt preached in Isaiah, and this is after, after that. <clears throat> and I thought we talked this morning about having a fresh start. You know, there are times in our lives when we all need a fresh start. Sometimes it's because we failed the Lord. We have been drawn away by sin, and uh, we see the need for a fresh start because we failed the Lord. Sometimes it's just neglecting God's word and neglecting God's path for our life, and we slowly drift away. But by the time that we recognize it, our distance from our walk with God has significantly walked away. And sometimes that fresh start is because um, you've had difficulties come in your life, maybe a disappointment or a trial. And instead of drawing you to God, maybe it caused you to struggle. And so you need a new beginning. You need a fresh start. And we're going to look at a, um, an account in Ezra um, that speaks of a group of people beginning this fresh start. About a month ago, Jill and I and our kids um, went to New York. And we were in New York City and we did all of kind of the things that you're supposed to do in New York. I don't know if you can actually do all of them, but we did as many as we could do. And one of those was taking the ferry to the Statue of Liberty and to Ellis Island. And if you've ever taken that um, ferry, I think a couple things that it makes you think of. I think the first thing that came in my mind is all of those people that came by ferry over the years that saw the Statue of Liberty, and to them, it was this beacon of hope and liberty. And after crossing an entire ocean, to see the Statue of Liberty was a huge deal for them. And ironically, um, when they would come in the harbor, um, they did not stop at Ellis Island first. They would stop at New York um, and on one of the islands there, and those in first and second class usually were cleared on the boat. And so they would have to have all their papers and their clearance. But because of their financial status, usually they were able to take care of that beforehand, and so they went right on to New York. But third-class passengers um, usually rode lower in the boats, and so they would get on a ferry, and they thought they had made it to America, which they had, but they hadn't quite made it to America yet, and they would go to Ellis Island. And they would go on to Ellis Island, and they would have all these checks. It was really interesting to learn about all the things. They had this piece of chalk, and if you've been there before, you probably recognize some of these stories, but 
they had all these things they would check you for. And so they had this piece of chalk, and um, if they noticed something about you that may make you um, unfit to enter the United States, they would mark a letter on you. And so whether it was a health issue or whether it was they thought that you um, had a limp in your walk or maybe you had an eyesight problem or maybe you were just slow in understanding stuff, they would mark these and they would mark them in chalk and then you would go to different places for doctors or psychologists to check you out before you would come to the United States. But there was one kind of common theme throughout all the stories, and that is all of these people were coming here to escape something and the hope of something new. Some of them it was famine. Some of them it was political oppression. Um, Some of them it was religious oppression. Some of them they couldn't get jobs. Some of them were fleeing that they were criminals in the area that they lived. Some of them had no family, and the family had already come over. And so they were all looking for this fresh start. And they would take a journey that began with trying to get on a boat and go across the ocean. And you would read stories about people that halfway across the ocean, they were so sick, they had been through so much. And some of them actually said, I wish I just would die now. Like, it's not worth it, the trip over. And it would take them sometimes months um, on their journey over. And it's really learning, interesting learning about Fresh Start. It's not that dissimilar to the story we're going to hear today and the account in Ezra. I want to give you a little background before we get into Ezra 3. Um, and we'll have some of this scripture on the screen too and kind of be in Ezra 3 most of the time. But there's some key um, uh, people in the story. Obviously, the most um, recognizable is the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And they'll be kind of, we'll talk about them. They're the main part. There's three individuals that God worked in their hearts to help the, um, Israel in this journey. So they had been in Babylon, and they were a captive people in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had captured this group of people. He had destroyed a lot of their monuments, destroyed the temple, and this group of people, um, the Jewish people, we read about some of those in Daniel and the three uh, gentlemen that did not bow down to the king. We read some of their accounts. And the story starts to change here when King Cyrus um, became the leader in Babylon. The first uh, individual is a guy named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was kind of, and history is recognized as the prince of Judah in captivity. And You'll kind of see him come in the story. And when he heard this decree from Cyrus that they were going to allow some of the Jewish people to be free and go back to their homeland, um, God worked in Zerubbabel's heart and raised him up that he would go and help with the building of the temple. And so he was kind of a leader in helping rebuild the temple and um, headed back. Another person, the book that we are in today, Ezra, and Ezra was a scribe and a priest, and this is 457 B.C., before Christ, that he obtained leave from Cyrus to go to Jerusalem, and he was going to go with this group of Israelites, and he was going to be kind of a spiritual leader, get them back to the teachings of Moses, help them build the altars to do sacrifice, and he's a key individual. And then the third one, which we're not going to cover today, but later... You can read about Nehemiah, and Nehemiah has this passion. He was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, and he later would help them build the wall around Jerusalem. 
and uh, he thought that um, he would make this journey, and he became the governor of Judea, and his great work was building the wall. So Ezra, the book here, Chronicles, just um, tells all of this story, and it ends right at the beginning here of Ezra, and there's this proclamation from Cyrus, the king of Persia, allowing the Jews to return to the land of after their Babylonian exile. So this morning, I'd like to give you like four ideas or four key thoughts, four steps to a fresh start. So four ideas that will help you this morning from the book of Ezra here, the fresh start. But to get a little context of Ezra 3, it's important to go back to Ezra uh, chapter 1, and I know it says 3-1. Oh, yeah, let's, let's read from Ezra 3-1, get a little context of the story, then we'll go back to Ezra 1. This is right at the beginning of Ezra. In your Bibles, you'll see this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. They began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So this is kind of the context of where we start. Four steps to fresh start. And I put the first one up here. I think when you're going through a journey of, I need a fresh start with God, I think the first thing, it's always good to recognize it's possible. I've had a lot of things in my life that I've wanted to do, but I knew they were not possible. When I was younger, I wanted to be in the MBA. And my dad had, and that's the National Basketball Association, for those of you who don't know. And I'm sorry you don't know that, but that's okay. That was, my, that was something I wanted to do when I was a kid. And my dad, you know, had a good sit-down talk with me when I was in high school. And he said, dad, he said son, your dad's 5'9". There's a good chance you won't be any taller than that. And he said, in the NBA, there's only two guys five, nine, and under. They were not only the best players at their high school, they were the best players in their whole state. They were the best player in their college. And when they went to the NBA, they were the best point guards in the nation when they were drafted. So my dad's a mathematician. He's got his master's degree in math. And he said, you want me to break that down for you? He said, go to college, kid, get a degree. <laughs> so when you think about a fresh start, a new hope, uh, I think it's important to realize it's possible. In the beginning of Ezra, it says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of King Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. So the nation of Israel was about as spiritually low as you could get. The northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrians. That was in 722 BC. And uh, they had a history of idolatry. And then the southern king of Judah, they fell in 587 when Nebuchadnezzar, they, he destroyed Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple. He brought the Jews back into captivity. Fifty years had passed to this point that they had been in captivity. So there was some, a group, that knew of what it was like to live in freedom. And there was a lot of them that all they knew was captivity 
in Babylon. And it says he stirred up a pagan king's heart, King Cyrus, to issue a decree permitting the Jews to return to the land. The Bible says it in other places like this, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I don't know if you can grasp how significant this is for a pagan king to make a proclamation and put it in writing that these thousands of people could return home to their homeland. If he would have, now they don't, they don't candidate and run for office back then, uh, but if he would have ran on that platform, he would not have won. So this was not something that when he got into office and became the king, like, hey, here's my plan. This was something the scripture tells us that God specifically moved in his heart to do. Fifty years they were in captivity and a king takes over and one of the first decrees he makes is you can go back to your homeland. I would say this is a great example. If it's not possible, this was a not a possibility. And God says, I can make anything possible. One word from God in the heart of man and the king, and it can change a whole generation, a whole nation. And so God changes his heart. I would say to you this morning, I would submit to you this morning, if you want a fresh start, I would start with praying that God would work in people's hearts and in your own heart. Ask him to change your own heart. Ask him to change the hearts of those around you that you see that are impacting this walk with God. I wrote down a couple of things here as I think of it's possible. Why is it possible? I think, first of all, in our walk with God, It's possible because it begins at the cross. If you this morning are here today and you've never accepted the grace of God, you've never submitted that God is the authority in my life and sin is what separates me from God. It begins, this fresh start begins at the cross. It begins when you submit to God. If you've done that this morning, if you said, I have submitted to God, I've asked him for my forgiveness of sins, I would submit to you that daily living at the cross is where a fresh start begins. Life, freedom, hope, joy, they not only begin at the cross, but they're sustained at the cross. And that daily looking back to what Jesus has done and looking and seeing that freedom lies in submission to God at the cross. The freedom that started that you can walk with God and I no longer have to live in bondage of sin. That fresh start is possible because of the cross, but it's sustained because you continue to reflect on what God has done at the cross. So the first I would say it's possible if you don't get anything today, know that a fresh start is possible. Second, It starts with a decision. In Ezra 1 5, and uh, we'll be Ezra 1, we'll get to Ezra 3 in a second, but 1 5 speaks of this decision of the people going. Now, this is kind of like an epic, if you know, in, in English, where you start in the middle of the story and you go back. So we're in the middle of the story, but we're kind of going back and looking at it. Look at 
what it says in Ezra 1.5 when the king had made this decree. It says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved. So here it is again. God moves in the heart of the king. Now he's moving in the hearts of the people. They prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, and this is astonishing in verse number seven. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. So back to the beginning of the story, when he makes the decree, some people had to decide to make this journey and go back. And I think history tells us that about 50,000 of them would make this journey. And just for a little context, if you picture the Middle East, so this is kind of Iraq that we're talking about. Uh, Babylon, maybe uh, 50 miles um, from today's um, capital in Iraq. And so they would go up the Mesopotamia, across, or they would, this, in that time is Mesopotamia, today that would be Iraq. The Euphrates River goes up, they would go across what today is Syria, and then they would come down to Jerusalem. That's about 900 miles that they would walk, and they would bring all of their items with them, and it would be elderly people and families with small women and children. So that was about a four-month journey. And I, when I think about that, I think about the decision. I, it can be easy to say, I want a fresh start. It can be significantly harder to say, I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to make a decision to have a fresh start with God. And these 50,000 people decided to do that. In the Bible, you see this all the time where people wanted a fresh start. And sometimes it was just a simple request that was the beginning of their decision. And they said this, God, I need help. Can you think of places in the Bible where people just simple prayers of God, I need help. One of the simple ones that comes to my mind is when Peter was on the boat, and this is in the New Testament, and they're on the boat, and Jesus comes walking on the water to them. At first, they're scared. Then they realize it's Jesus. And Peter decides, I'm going to go walk on the water to Jesus. So he gets out of the boat. Jesus says, come on. He gets out of the boat, walks on the water. Everything's going good. Then he starts looking around, becomes afraid, because there's waves, and the wind is blowing. As soon as he takes his eyes off God, starts to fear, he starts to sink. He did not start with, dear Heavenly Father, the God of all creation. You know what he said? Help! God, help! That's simple prayer. God reaches out his hand, and he helps. Your decision today can start simply with, God, I need your help. And God will answer that prayer. But you have to do something about it. You have to take some action, and these people did. Four-month journey, 900 miles, they took this journey. And it's similar to life. Life is just a simple step of faith 
another step of faith, another step of faith. But the opposite is a life that's living absent of God. And I submit to you, there is nothing worse than walking steps that are not with God and are not in faith with God. And their ancestors had already done this. Before this book is Chronicles, and Chronicles tells about the, before the captivity. Look in Second Chronicles, this is 36, verse 15. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them. This is the people of Israel. Through his messengers, that's the people that God would send to tell them Jeremiah. And he sent it again and again. Again and again. And why did he do that? Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messenger. Despite his words, and they despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God was aroused against the people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylons who killed their young men with a sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. I think this should be a sobering passage because before they were in captivity, God sent messenger after messenger and sent it again and again because he loved his people and he wanted them to have this fresh start with God. And finally, they mocked, despised God, and it came to a point where God, the only way to bring them back to him was to bring them in to captivity. The people before this Ezra passage had the same opportunity. They chose not to make a decision. And I think if you read the scripture, do not be confused about the wrath of God. God does hate sin. He is compassionate to his people. And sometimes to bring his people back will steer them in a path for them that is sorrow. So they draw back to him. So this group is given the opportunity and they make the decision that we're going to go back. We're going to take this step of faith. And it was a courageous step. They were afraid, and we'll see in Ezra 3 that they were afraid because of the people around them. But despite their fear, and despite their fear of the people around them, they went ahead. And I like this, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is walking ahead in spite of the fear. You know how David said it in the Psalms? And you might recognize this verse. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. David doesn't ever claim to never be afraid. He just says, when I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in you. So it does take this courage. And these people chose to take this courage. Third, so it's a fresh start. It's possible You have to make a decision. They do make the decision. But you'll see in this Ezra 3, it requires some rubble clearing. 
So this is back to Ezra 3.1. When the seventh month came and Israelites had settled in their towns, so they took their time to get settled. They built houses, shelters, dwelling place. They started farming. The people assembled together as one. So they all come together in Jerusalem. They began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So the, one of the first things they did after settling is Ezra brings them together all in one place and he assembles them and he says, let's bring out the words of Moses, the words from God, and let's build altars and start doing what it says in the Bible. And you remember before this, they had forsaken God, they had built their own altars, and Ezra says, let's start making sacrifices to God. And I would say symbolically they cleared, physically they cleared an area and started building altars. But symbolically, this sacrifices and offering of forgiveness to God is similar, I think, if you want a fresh start, that you got to clear some rubble in your own life. And that begins with repentance and forgiveness for God. They took time to declare what they had done in the past was wrong and they had failed God and we know that was wrong. We are asking for forgiveness of it. In the scripture, maybe in your life, a fresh start looks like this. The New Testament says, get rid of anger, get rid of bitterness, get rid of filthy living. In other words, get rid of the empty living that just brings guilt and sorrow. And if you want to bring that on your journey in a fresh start, you'll find that it's just baggage on your fresh start journey. But also that clearing the rubble is other people, forgiveness and repentance from others. Start making it right with others. And I think it begins with God and it also spreads to those around us and we get right with one another. That can be difficult. We, uh, our children, just the other day, we were with some friends, and they said, let's put on a classic Christmas movie. Now, when I think of classic Christmas movies, like I think White Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, Die Hard. No. (laughs) That is in somebody's list, not mine. When you ask a kid classic Christmas movies, you get Santa Claus, you get Home Alone. If you have not seen Home Alone, it is a classic Christmas movie. So I came to check on them, and I walked in at this part. This is just on Friday night. And he's sitting there talking to an old man, which is his neighbor. And his neighbor is spending Christmas alone. And the young boy in... Home Alone, asks him, he says, so why aren't you having Christmas with your family? And he says, my son, many years ago, and I would imagine, um, you know, this now his son has grown and is adult. He says, my son, many years ago, we had an argument. And my son says, I don't want to talk to you ever again. And he said, and I said, I don't want to talk to you ever again. And he said, we're never spoken to this day. And this is just a, like a, you know, seven, eight-year-old kid. And he says, well, why don't you just call him? 
right? I mean, that when you ask a kid, well, just call him up. Pretty simple. And he says, his response was, I'm afraid that he'll say again, I don't want to speak to you. And the actor, it's Macaulay Culkin, says, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if you called him, you won't have to be afraid anymore. And he says, because if he says, I don't want to talk to you anymore, then you'll know it. But if he says, I do want to talk to you, then you can have Christmas together. And in just a simple kid's question, you don't have to be afraid. Just call them up and you'll know. And I think about this fresh start in reference to clearing rubble. In a kid's mind, it's pretty simple. I think as an adult, calling someone up, making that phone call that you haven't talked to in a long time and you know that there's separation, that's a hard phone call. But if you're moving into 2018 and you're like, I want to take steps with God, uh, I, it's going to be difficult to do if you continue to carry the baggage and the rubble around. And in their case, here, I mean, it's hard to build an altar in a temple when you've got rubble all around. And repentance and forgiveness is so freeing. It's, so, it's hard, but it's so freeing. And sometimes it was wrong done against you. And it's a phone call of just letting someone know that they've hurt you. So you got to clear the rubble, and they do that in this passage. And then one of the things that you'll see, this is in Ezra uh, 3, verse 12. And I'm going to try and find it. I think I, here we go. I think this is 3 verse 12. I might have typed it wrong up there. When they're sacrificing here and they're starting to build the temple, it says this, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. It's interesting when they started to clear the rubble and they started to lay foundations and they saw the foundation, the old foundation for the temple. Some of them were super excited. And I imagine it was most of the young people were really excited. I mean, this is a new beginning. God's going to do something special. We're going to build the temple. Some of the older people, it was mixed feelings. And it says that some of them, uh, they wept very strongly. And when I think about that and you read about their story, I think it was some joy and happiness crying what God was doing. But it says that here that they had seen the temple in all its glory. They had seen Solomon's temple, and now they're looking at it, and it's a bunch of rubble. And I imagine it brought up all the memories of all the things they had done. And I wrote down here, I think for me, a fresh start moving forward does include leaving the past behind. I think it was harder for this older generation to see what had happened because of some of the choices that they had made. And I think for us, it's hard to see because of decisions we've made 
maybe our kids are struggling. Maybe our marriage is struggling. Maybe financially we're struggling. And we know in our heart we've just made some bad decisions. And I think part of the clearing the rubble is God's doing a new thing. God's working in a new way. He is giving us the opportunity, a fresh start. And a fresh start says, that's the past. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to enjoy all the things that God has for me going forward. And I'm no longer going to be a slave to these wrong choices that God forgave me of. I'm going to let them go. And I think that was part of what they had to do here. And so the fourth thing I have is that they did. And I put a scripture passage that bridges this. In Haggai 2.9, it talks about this temple. And it says this, The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. So they're in this time period of it's all rubble. We're ready to take the next step. Haggai talks about this, and he says this, the latter glory, in other words, Solomon's temple, that was beautiful. But what's going to happen in the future in this temple is going to be more glorious than you can ever imagine. Because, you know, this foundation they were about to lay is going to have some great things in the future happen in it. And so what they do is they decide, let's, Build the foundation. And so the last one that I would say is this. Fresh start. Start building a foundation. Clear the rubble and get started on the foundation. So 3 verse 10 talks about how they did this. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, this is the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good and his love towards Israel endures forever. And I think that's in your Bibles. You're probably wondering where it is on the screen, but it is up there. So 10, 11, 12, prescribe what they did with praise and thanksgiving They sang to the Lord, and they said this. And if you've read the book of Psalms, this will sound very familiar. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. So you start to build a foundation. I think that foundation begins like this with thanksgiving. All throughout Scripture, we are commanded to give thanks in all circumstances. And so at a beginning at a fresh start one of the first things they do when they start to build the wall or start to build the temple and the foundation part of the foundation was let's give thanks to god for what he's done and as on other occasions they started to shout they gave praise to god and it was a great shout and it was expressed out of their emotions of what they felt about god and what they thought about god They praised them with their whole hearts. And if you look down to the end of the chapter in Ezra 3, if you have your Bibles, in the end of the chapter, it says this, the sound was heard far away. That was how 
they expressed their thanksgiving to God. So I believe that the foundation that you can build in a fresh start is first start giving thanks. And Matt mentioned this, Pastor Matt mentioned at the beginning. I think when you come to the end of the year, you look back and say, God, you have been faithful. You have done great things. And these people started to recognize that. And then you start to get right thinking. You start to renew your minds. Do you notice in each one of these passages, it says what they did? They started to look back what Moses had said in here. They look back at what David had said. And it's interesting, little side note here. This is the sons of Asaph. So that was generations now. These are the sons and the generation of Asaph who David had put in charge of the music. And they, he, Dave, uh, Asaph himself was a percussionist. He played the cymbals. Here, generations later, his sons are playing the cymbals. And they get out and they start ascribing to what David, the king of Israel, long ago had done. And I think it's a great place if you want to fresh start and build a foundation is start thinking correctly. You've heard of the phrase, the power of positive thinking. And that's kind of a a secular idea in this area. What God wants for you is not just positive thinking. He wants right thinking. And what you'll find is when you have right thinking, here's what you'll come to the conclusion. Everything in my life is from God. And everything in my life is from a God that is good and loves me and is working towards good. What more positive thinking is it to think God thinking? I love you. I care for you. I'm working good things for you. And you'll find that like this group of Israelites did when you go back to God's word and daily you start reading and absorbing it and meditating on it. Another thing I wrote down here is a foundation of good habits. Maybe that's reading the Bible daily. Maybe it has to do with living a certain way healthy for your body so that you can serve God in the way you need to. Maybe it's financially starting to reprioritize habits in your life that allow you to walk a path with God. And Matt mentioned this before. The series will talk about these disciplines of walking with God. And we call them habits. But they're a foundation of which you cannot build unless you think right. You give thanks and you have these disciplines and habits of a walk with God. And the last one, I love this phrase when it says, they gathered all together. If you've been at Valley long enough, you'll know this is one of our emphasis, and that is you need to do it with others. You need to do it with other people. They said it's all together. But when I think of all together, here's a couple things I think of. It needs to be multi-generational. If you're here and you're in your 20s or 30s, when's the last time that you asked somebody in their 60s, 70s, or 80s out to coffee and thought, I'm going to spend time with someone not in my generation? If you're older here today, spend time with younger people. Invite them out to lunch. I think it's not only multi-generational, I think it's important that you interact with people of different backgrounds. 
Find someone that's been through a divorce. Spend time with them. If you're married, spend some time with single people. Spend some time with people that culturally are uh, from a different background than you are. When we were in New York, we were there over a Sunday, and we went to church at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. If you've never been to Brooklyn before, and you've never been to Brooklyn Tabernacle, a white guy in his 40s is in the minority at church at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It was one of the most fun Sundays I've ever had. It's very diverse. And when we walked in, uh, the first thing that the worship pastor says is, everybody stand. So everybody stands. And he says, let's give a hand of praise to God. And the whole, I mean, this is probably an auditorium of 1,500, and it was full. And they all start clapping for Jesus. And I'm thinking, I clap for the Broncos. I clap for artists that I go and watch. You know, I clap when political speakers up. What can be better than clapping for Jesus? So I thought, okay, that's on my list at Valley. I'll wait till next year, and we'll bring you along. They started clapping for Jesus, and then the music starts, and he says, put your hands together in the whole place. And they were in rhythm, okay? When we do it up here, sometimes I'm not as in good, but I just went with the flow, and it was good. And then they sang. And when they sang, uh, you, can't, you can't explain it. The expression of how they loved God just came out. And some of you have been in places like that. And I think that, I think that you just need to get outside your box. And when you start dealing with other people, you need to include other people. Other people groups. Other generations. And I think your walk with God will start to be greatly impacted when you include people of different stages of growth. So don't get your Bible study with your four best friends that have been walking with Jesus for 50 years. Invite some people that are new in their walk. And if you're new in your walk with God, start hanging around some people that have maturity. And all these people gathered together. They started singing in their praise to God. And it says, and you could hear them far away and they start building this foundation so those are just some thoughts i think from ezra that they start to build this foundation i said we were at ellis island and there were so many stories when you come into ellis island they when they first renovated it and this is not many years ago 30 40 years ago they renovated it they built a statue um, up at the front, and this statue was of a young girl. She was 15 years old, and her name was Annie Moore. Annie Moore was the first person um, to pass through immigration at Ellis Island. She was the first one off the boat, the first ferry that came in, first one off down the plank, and they, they gave that first group, I think, a coin. She was the first one, 15 years old, made the journey She's from Ireland all the way across the ocean. And here it is, fresh start, ready to begin a new life. And then into New York and into oblivion. Not history notes about her, nothing nothing recorded about her life. Until they built this statue, and then Annie Moore is a pretty common name. People started coming forth, oh, that was my grandmother, yeah, she... 
went to Illinois and then to Texas and she married this guy and, you know, he was, and she did well off. So that was the story of Annie Moore. It was just about 10 years ago that a lady that was a genealogist wanted to learn more about Annie Moore. And so she did some historical looking on Annie Moore. Nothing. Couldn't find one thing about the first person to come in immigration. So she offered, I think it was a thousand or two thousand dollars if anyone can come forward with proof of their connection to Annie Moore. And of course, you started to offer money, and people, good and bad, come forward. And finally, a family in New York came forward with documentation that Annie Moore was our great-great-grandmother. And they had, here's what happened to her. So Annie Moore's story was she came into New York, 15 years old, and had a rough life. It was, not, it was not a glorious story at all. But she had kids, and she, as an Irish Catholic, a lot of kids. And uh, she saw most of them pass away. But of those couple, I think she had more than 11 children. Some of them did survive. They had children. Some became doctors. Some became lawyers. I mean, the, her generation story, her life, no, not that great a story. Her kids, well, they found one segment of the family. So they found some people that knew, and then they started branching out, and they found one family that did not know they were related to Annie Moore. So they went to them, visited, and they were so excited to find out that they were related to the first person that came on Ellis Island. It was a pretty cool story. But side note to the story was one of their kids just a month before in school studied Ellis Island, and they had to choose someone that was an immigrant. And they had to come to school, dress up like them, interact like that person, and tell their story. They had no idea that they were related to Annie Moore. So they just randomly picked someone. And they told a story of someone they had never met, someone they had no connection. And now someone's telling them, you are the great, great granddaughter of Annie Moore, the first person to come on Ellis Island. And there was this like, wow. And then like, oh, that's kind of bummer. Like a month ago, I could have had the greatest story in school. And I told about some lady I'd never even heard of. When I think about this story in Ezra, the most impactful thing for me, this isn't a story. This is true. There were a group of people and thousands of them that were in exile and in captivity. And God spoke one word into a king's heart and it changed the rest of history. And they made the decision to go. And they said, let's do it. Do you know that's part of your story? Because that foundation they built, it would have renovations and it would have additions. It's the same temple that Jesus would walk in years later. It's the same temple that would have this big curtain that gets torn in two when Jesus paid for your sin. It's the same place where the ground shook hundreds of years later and he rose from the dead. It's like 
we read earlier, the glory that was Solomon's, it will have a much glorious. This is your, it's, it's a true account of history that impacts you today. And because some people said, let's do it. Let's take the journey. Let's take the steps. And they took the walk. So when you encounter God, when you say, I want that new relationship, that fresh relationship with God, don't make your experience my experience. Don't make your experience the experience of Israel's. Experience God for yourself. And what you'll find is God will do great things and mighty things more than you can even explain. Because almost everything that is great has a small beginning. And you've got to start somewhere. Today's the day. Today is the day that you can make the fresh start. And it's possible. It will make some dis- take some decision making. There'll be some rubble to clear. And you'll have to get work building a foundation. But God will do great, great and mighty things.